Well, it's good to see everybody here today. We are uh, a busy school here. We've got a lot of things going on. We got basketball, beauty pageants, and we got church in the middle. So this is a good place to be. Um, good to see everybody here. I don't. There we go. We got everybody here. So uh, we're we're actually in a, uh, a series. So we're going to pick back up. If you want to go ahead and turn there and follow along, um, we have these um, sermon notes you can fill out and kind of help you follow along with the message this morning. That will help you. Um, I don't know if you guys, as a, a child, took road trips. Who took road trips with your family? Have you ever done that? You guys ever take road trips? Yeah? Are they memorable? Putting you on the spot. Yeah? What should I say? It sounds like Cecilia. What do you want me to say? Um, so, road trips are fun. I don't know if you can think back to your most memorable road trip as a kid. I don't know if you're driving. You know, you weren't a kid in Alaska. I'm just a little bit older, right? But... Road trips are fun. We used to, as a kid, drive from Atlanta to Indiana at least twice a year. And back in the day, in the road trips, you could break the rules. You could just, like, do whatever. It was a road trip. Like, normally you had to wear your seatbelt. But when it's a road trip, you could sleep up on the top part or the car with the glasses. I mean, it was cool. It was all good. Because you just start squeezing in spots and having fun. Um, I don't know what your parents were like or what you're like with your children or, or whatever it might be. But, or just yourself. If you're on a road trip... Some people like to take their time, breathe the smells, look at the sights, stop off here, stop off there. You get by the south of the border. If you ever grow up in 95, oh, we got to stop south of the border. Who stops at south? Anybody ever stop there? I, I, we stopped there once or twice. I just don't understand how that ever became what it is. But um, it's like a ghost town, usually. Um, but, you know, you, you're going, you stop, and Some people are the opposite. You know, we are not stopping anywhere. If you got to go, I'm sorry. I mean, you just got to deal with it because we got to go. You know, if you got to go, that's your problem. And so uh, it, it can be interesting, your approach to road trips. Uh, but it's interesting. When we think of a road trip or we think of traveling, a lot of times the road trip is just something you have to endure. It's like if I, when we lived up in, in the D.C. area and we came in, in here a lot, visit um, Cassie's folks, Kim and Carrie, we, would, um, we, we started getting down to a science. like... Okay, if we leave it this time, we'll have to stop once. We can stop right here. We can get to Wilson, North Carolina, then we can go on. And so we had it down to science. And the whole point was just to get there. Like, we didn't really want to be on the road. We wanted it to be where we wanted to be. And so um, that could be an approach. And the road trip is just something you have to endure. Um, but it's interesting. I look back in my life. There was one road trip I took with my grandparents that actually we were going from Atlanta all the way up to Fort Wayne, Indiana. Same trip, but I happened to be riding with my grandparents, my dad's parents, and it was my older brother and I. And in fact, I don't remember anything about the destination of when we got to Indiana. I don't remember anything about that trip. I was probably about 10 years old. I don't even remember anything of that week at all. But I do remember the trip. And it was funny because we got lost, and we, we were going up, normally go through Nashville, but we got off on 75 and started going up through Kentucky. And I remember there was traffic issues or something. We just got way out of, out of the way. And it was before phones and all this. You look it up. We were just like, I remember at one point we drove through somebody's yard. Like we were detoured so far. We were in somebody's backyard driving. I'm like, this is different. Don't normally do this. Uh, and we, we ended up in Berea, Kentucky. Who's ever been to Berea, Kentucky? Yeah, exactly. I don't know that anybody from Kentucky has been to Berea, Kentucky. But it's off of 75, and we stopped because we just couldn't make it up there. It was a long trip. 
we only got halfway, so we stopped for the night, which was different because you don't normally try to make it. You don't want to spend that extra money in a hotel. You know, that's, you can't do that. So we stayed at like the Motel 6 or something there. And I remember this thing for, for two reasons. One, we, we ate at this buffet. And it was like one of the country buffets. You appreciate this. Country buffet, they got all that greasy food. They used to have one kind of like that. We would go on St. Andrew's Road. They closed it down. Remember the Hilltopper? Yeah. <laughs> that place is so gross. Oh my goodness, so much grease. But I remember my grandmother, after we ate there, she got such bad gas, and we were all in the same room. I just have to say that, I'm sorry. Is it okay if I say that? It's okay. Um, it's, it's, it's human experience. But she, I mean, we were all in the room, she got bad gas, and it was, that was where we were. And um, that was life. And the other thing I remember is that the hotel we stayed at had one of those old-fashioned, where it's like a horseshoe and the pool was in the middle. Remember those old school ones that had like the outdoor pool? And it was at that hotel in Berea, Kentucky, that I overcame my fear of, of swimming, fear of the deep end. Like, I went to swimming lessons as a kid. I went to all this stuff, but I just always was afraid I was going to drown. Like the moment I got in the deep end, I was like, ah, ah. I just, I panicked every time. I'll be honest. I was a little wimp. But for some reason, in this middle of nowhere stop in Kentucky is where I figured out that it's okay. I can swim. It was awesome. Not the gas part. That wasn't so awesome. But the swimming part. That changed my life. And we're going to look in the Bible today because this story will not change your life. But we're going to look in the Bible because it can change your life. And there's actually a Berea, Kentucky in this story. Not, not, not actually Berea, Kentucky. It's called Sychar. It's a town called Sychar. And the Sychars of life, these are the places you don't really want to be. It's just the places you happen to be on your way to where you really want to be. Isn't that how life works? There's places where you want to get. I'm going to do this. I got this vision of my future. This is where I'm going to go. This is my plan. This is the destination where we're going to get to. But here's where I am today. Here's where I happen to be. And that's what we would call Sychar. This is this town. It's a town in Samaria. And life is full of Sychars. It's, it's maybe for you, it's middle school. You know, we got a couple middle schoolers. Maybe it's high school. Ah, I'm in high school. Oh, I just get through high school. Then I'm in college. Or maybe you're, you get to the university, like, oh, I hate this. I just want to get out of here and I get my job and start here. Or maybe you're at your job and it's not this job. I got to get to the next job because that's where it's really at. We can go through life thinking we're always in Sychar, we're always in Berea, Kentucky, but the truth is God has something for us no matter where we are. And we're going we're gonna to see this in this story today. See, life is a journey. And we can spend a lot of time looking ahead, a lot of time looking to where we want to go or where we think we should be going. And that's okay, because sometimes there are destinations we're heading to. But if we spend all of our life just passing through, we will miss out on those moments and those memories that God has for us. And Jesus shows us in this story that even if you are just passing through, you can still pass through with a purpose. I know I think of Chris and Stephanie that are in the military, that they move every two, three years, constantly passing through. That's their life. And I've talked with him. He's not in here. They're doing the children's ministry because they're passing through with a purpose. They didn't just say, well, we're only here a couple of years. I guess we'll just kind of ride it out until we move somewhere else. But they're actually saying, no, where's a church where we can serve and we can use our talents and gifts and we can help? We're not going to be here forever, but we'll help while we're here. So that's kind of a good example. But let's look at this. And, and this is, we've got, this reminds me of my pastor in Virginia. He used to put like 12 points on there. And you're like, oh, no. 
we're going to be here all day. So this is an eight-point message, and I apologize for that, because that's, you just look at that, and you feel overwhelmed, you're like, man, what are we going to do here? I'm, I'm already feeling hungry, and we haven't even started. This is still the introduction. So I will, I will promise you that we will not be here forever, but we will look at eight points, all right? And in John 4, this is where we're looking at. In John 4, what do we see Jesus doing? How does he take his, his passing through with a purpose? And so that's what we're going to look at. So if you want to turn in your Bible to John chapter 4, the Gospel of John. We're going to read it, and we're going to see what the Lord might say to us through his word. All right. Everybody there? We're good. John 4. All right. Number one is this. We see first and foremost, Jesus is shunning success. And I put success in quotation marks. The air quotes. Success. Let's read this. It says this, John 4, verse 1. The Pharisees heard that Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. It says here, Jesus was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. John was on the scene first. He was the prophet that everybody was coming out to. He was kind of the, the latest and greatest. And here comes Jesus. John points to him and he starts getting some disciples. We learned about that in chapter 1. And now all of a sudden the momentum is gathering for Jesus and his disciples, his followers are starting to say, hey, we follow John, John baptized, that's what he did, so why don't we do the same thing? So we'll baptize some people. And now it's this little competition thing going on where Jesus is getting more popularity, he's getting some more baptisms, even though he wasn't even doing it, and it became this little uh, competitive thing with him and John, who's gonna be more popular? And so we see that Jesus hearing this realizes Although it looks like I'm successful because I'm more popular than John now, this is not actually my mission. This is not actually my purpose. This is not actually why I came is to baptize more people than John. That's not why I'm here. And so Jesus intentionally shuns success and leaves everything that's going on there and goes up to get further onto the true mission that God had for him to accomplish while he was on earth. We also need to have a sense of vision, just like Jesus, to look at our lives. Because often we can get busy doing things that look like success, that truly are not what God wants for us to do. I don't say that to make us afraid, because you could, if you're a very tender, conscious person, like, oh no, I'm not doing what God wants me to do. And you can be very scared about that, especially young people. I was a youth pastor. People get real nervous about, if I, if I make this choice, is this what God wants me to do? I'm not trying to make you nervous. I'm just saying maybe from time to time, th think through your life and think, am I climbing a ladder that is leaning on the wrong wall? I could be busy climbing, going, doing, and truly this is not furthering the kingdom of God. This is furthering me. Now, I think God gives us a lot of options. I don't know that there's just one certain thing and he's like hiding it from you, Darrell. You've got to figure out what I want you to do, Darrell. I'm not going to tell you because that's God. No, God doesn't do that. But we can get busy and distracted and we can get so caught up in everything of life that sometimes we get so good at doing things that don't really matter, right? Who's ever felt that way before? You get so busy, so tired of doing stuff. You're like, what am I actually accomplishing here? 
In order to, to cut through all this, we have to get a sense of vision for what God wants for us in our life. God, what are you calling me to in this season of life? As a church, we have to be careful to define success according to what God is calling us to as a church. There's a lot of churches that are bigger. Uh, there are a lot of churches that are doing this or doing that. And if we try to compare ourselves or just mimic other places and other churches, we might get busy doing things that God's not really asking us to do. We have to be careful about that. How we define success really determines the direction of our lives. If you define success as financial stability, you will spend your whole life and maybe gain financial stability, but you might miss out on something even greater than that. If you define success as uh, your kids are great athletes, and my kids all play sports, and I, I have to keep myself in check on this sometimes. My wife and I talk about this. You know, we do a lot of sports, a lot of activities. Are we really focused? Are they going to get from this that this is what life is all about? Or are we really showing them that this is fun, but life has a greater meaning and value than this? It's something as parents you have to be very careful about. What you're communicating, even through all the activities. So he shunned what would some would say, this is success. He, he said, you know, we don't need all that because we have a different vision. He defined that clearly and he left. Number two. Number two is this. We find Jesus... Breaking routine. He's changing it up. He's taking a new path. Let's read here. John uh, verse 4 says this, 4-4. Four, four. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar. Near the plot of ground, Jacob had given his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour would be, according to the Jewish clock, about noon, 12 noon. It says that he had to go through Samaria. Truly, Jesus did not have to do that at all. When I went to Israel with, with my wife in uh, 2011, our guide very clearly demonstrated that the path that most Jews would take was not through Samaria, but along the Jordan River. We actually drove it in our tour bus. This would be the path along the Jordan River, all the way up to Galilee, because Jews did not care a whole lot for the Samaritans. You may be familiar with this. Maybe you have a little Bible background. But the Jews and Samaritans did not get along. We've read, we've read through the book of Nehemiah. We studied that. And that's almost where you see some of this contention as, as Sanballat and some of the others back in that time were actually Samaritans who came against the Jews. The Samaritans were people that were were a half-breed, part Jewish, part Assyrian, or other races that came in while the northern kingdom was, was demolished back in the 700 B.C. time. But these people kind of coexisted from that point forward with the Jews, and they had this bad relationship. They, they almost worshipped the same way, but a little bit different. It was mixed a little bit different. And they almost were Jews, but they weren't. And so they just had this poor relationship with these people. And Jews did not care for Samaritans. So Jews would avoid them. They would maybe do business with them. They would maybe... Try to make some money off them, but that was about it. They did not want to sit down and have a meal or a conversation with a Samaritan. And so much they would travel through Samaritan, Samaria uh, when they were going north to Galilee. Um, if, if you're unfamiliar with the Bible maps, that's one of the coolest books in the Bible in the back. It's called Maps. That's a joke. It's not really called Maps, but it's, it's in the back of most Bibles. And you can learn a lot when you read the map and see where they're going. All right, anyways. So here's the thing. Jesus is breaking routine. 
He says, you know what? I have to go through Samaria. I don't have to avoid them. I'm going to go through there. It's actually a more direct route. So if he wanted to get to Galilee, that actually would be a more direct route. So he chooses to say, you know what? Everybody else is doing this. I'm going to do this. This is what I have to do. And think about, think about it. Are you a creature of habit? Some people are creatures of habit. This is the, think about the way you go to work every day. Maybe you work in your, you know, your house. So it's, you get out of your bed and you walk over to your desk. But if you go anywhere, sometimes we go the same way. We're always going the same way. That's okay. That's not a sin. That's not wrong. Um, sometimes we have the same routine. We wake up. We do, 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 do. We got this. And then we come home. We have to, do, 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 everything in our own little boxes and how we like it. That's not, that's not a sin. That's not wrong. But sometimes our, our routines can become such a, a, a prison where we don't step outside of them. We don't ever change it. We don't ever explore anything beyond that. And that's what we are stuck in is our routine. And the routine is okay, it's good for this and that, but it doesn't always lead us to where we might need to be. We gotta be careful that we don't get stuck in our routine, that it limits us from what God's asking us to do. There's a, a sociologist named Robert Putnam. You may be familiar with this guy who wrote the book Bowling Alone. Anybody heard of that? No, just me, all right. Over here, Pam? No? Chris? All right, so Robert Putnam, um, he also wrote a book called Our Kids. He's a sociologist. I like reading these guys. And he talks about how neighborhoods have changed. And neighborhoods used to be very diverse back in the, the 50s and 40s. Um, even, he even uses a, a neighborhood in Ohio. He's, he's talking about this specific one, uh, the neighborhood he comes from in the, in the greater Cleveland area. And he talks about how back in the day, the poor and the rich would interact with one another because they were in these Somewhat, you know, there was a house that was expensive and there was a you know, house that was less expensive. But now we've isolated ourselves in communities. And even in our routines, we don't rub shoulders with people that are different than us. Because all the black people live here. All the white people are here. All the rich people are here. All the, and we've almost, if we're not careful, can limit our, our interaction with people to people who are just like us. And so, you know, I drive in my neighborhood, I pull in my thing, I got my cul-de-sac, hi, 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 everybody's similar to me, and I go on with my life. We gotta be careful that we don't get stuck in our routines that limits what God is asking us to do. Sometimes we need to break routine. That could be serving, serve somewhere. When we used to feed the homeless, that'll break your routine, right? That's a good way to get outside of that bubble that we sometimes can live in say, who, who are people that are not like me that I can go and interact with? Because that's what I need. I don't need to be always around people just like me. Okay, let me continue on. Number three, we find Jesus challenging cultural norms. Challenging cultural norms. We continue to read verse seven. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food at the 7-Eleven. No, the 7-Eleven is not there. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. We find Jesus challenging cultural norms. That time, like I said, Jews did not associate in their relationships with Samaritans. They would try to make money off them trade with them, do business, that was it. Just simple conversation, not so much. Even more, men and women in that culture and that day, even today, did not have that cross-gender relationship. You go to the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem today, if you want to go pray, the men go pray over here, the women go pray over there. 
That's just how it is. It got set up. Men and women do not have that sort of cross-gender interaction. That's not part of that culture. So this is breaking a lot of the cultural norms. He's not sinning, but this is a cultural thing that's set up. A lot of our cultural things aren't necessarily sin. It's just stuff we always grew up doing. And if, when people look back, sometimes they see how weird it was. It used to be back in the day, like, well, you know, it's not right that an interracial marriage has so messed up. Then we look back, like, why were people thinking like that? Well, it was just culture. It wasn't biblical. That wasn't God. It was just something people believed, you know? And so we have to challenge sometimes these cultural norms that people assume. This is what Jesus would do all the time. He challenged people's preconceived ideas to make them rethink where they were. And he wasn't afraid. It wasn't because he was trying to sin. Jesus was sinless. He would go associate with the, the people, you know, everybody would cast aside in society. The tax collectors, the sinners, and all these people said, this is crazy. Holy people, righteous people don't associate with unholy people. And Jesus said, really? Is that how it is? Where is that? Where, show me where that is. Show me where that is. He was challenging people all the time because sometimes we grow up believing these things that are just are not true. And that's part of the culture that's been handed to us. Maybe it was our parents taught us this way. Maybe it's just the society around us. But we have to be careful that we don't just go on blindly believing everything that was handed down to us or just everybody around us believe. We have to look at the Word of God and really come at a different perspective. What is, what is truly what God is saying? Jews did not associate with Samaritans. Jesus said, I don't have any problem with Samaritans because God loves the whole world. He gave his one and only son. That's me. I'm here because I love the whole world. We've got to be careful not to allow our hidden biases to keep us from showing love to all people. We need to spend time in prayer. There's no way you can unearth those today. But in time in prayer, say, Lord, what are these biases I hold? Do I have biases toward people? Because we all do. Who are the people I think are less than? Who are the people that are not as? And Lord, forgive me for that. Because you love the whole world. Number four. Amen. Thank you. Number four. We find Jesus asking for help. Asking for help. This is the exact same passage I just read. I won't have to read it again. But he asked the woman for a drink. You don't think of Jesus being someone who would ask for help, right? Jesus is God incarnate. This is God in the flesh. Jesus does not need water drawn from the ground. He just turned water into wine. Like right the chapter before. But isn't this interesting that Jesus doesn't come and sit down and say, All right, I'm God. You're a Samaritan woman. You know, he's tired, weary, in a human body. And he says, would you help me and give me a drink? He comes and gives, this is what one commentator says. Let me, let me find where I wrote this down. He says, Jesus conceded to her the power of conferring a favor. Gave her the power of saying, you can choose to help me or not. I'm going to ask you for a favor. I, I'm putting myself out there and I'm asking for your help. Isn't that interesting? Sometimes we think that if we're really right with God and we got Jesus in our heart, we got to know all the answers and we got to help everybody else and we can never, and especially if somebody's different than us or maybe they're not really right in their relationship, can I really ask them for help? And maybe we don't think of it clearly like that. But I don't know, there's this kind of sense of if, if I got it, you know, I got to have it all together. And, and I don't want to ask them for help. And they don't have their life together. If I'm asking them, what does that show my life? And Jesus is showing a, a sense of humility here. There's a sense of humility. When you ask people for help, you're saying, you know what? I'm going to build a relationship with you. I'm opening a door where I'm not standing over you. I'm, I'm coming humbly. And we can do this sort of conversation thing because I'm not trying to tell you everything. 
I'm going to come and listen. I'm going to ask for help. James 3.13 says this, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. The Bible all the time associates wisdom with humility. Wisdom is not sitting there and saying, you know what, I have all the answers. I know everything. It's coming humbly and even asking questions of people. Even you, They may not know near as much as you, but you ask them, what do you think? This is how we build relationships with people. This is how we show that we're not above anybody else. We ask for help. We, we ask questions. We put ourselves there to have a relationship with other people. Number five, we find this. We find Jesus offering something different and refreshing. Verses 10 to 15. Let's read these. Jesus answered, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. They uh, excavated this well. It's actually something you can go to today, Jacob's well. And um, it was probably, they said, 65 meters deep. And now people have thrown rocks in there. It's not quite that deep anymore because they wanted to hear how deep it was and they just built it back up. But it's a literal place. And, and I was reading a commentary. It was interesting saying at this well is probably one of the few places on earth that you could draw a, a, a few foot circle and say, for a fact, Jesus' feet stood right here. Because there's debate on a lot of these other sites and this and that. But right at this well, Jesus was. This is still here. It's pretty cool. So this well is deep. Jesus has no utensils. He has no bucket. He has nothing to go with here. She's wondering, what are you talking about, Jesus? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from himself, as also did his sons and flocks and herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. We find Jesus offering something different and refreshing. The woman, at this time, this term living water, if you're not familiar with that time, they had, they had water that was in cisterns, which was considered non-living water. If it was in a cistern, it was just water they dumped in. And I mean, water was a huge thing at this time. When I went, went to Israel and toured the tour guide was so fascinated with water. That's all he wanted to talk about. Because to those people in that time, water was life. You couldn't build a city without water. If you didn't have a water source, there would be no city. So every ancient city had some sort of water source. And so this water was a big deal. And then if they didn't have water, they'd have to come draw water and put it in a cistern. And it was standing water. I'm sure it was pretty gross. But living water is something that comes, it's fresh water, moving water, water that comes from a spring that's bubbling. It's always a source to it. And this is what she was thinking on this very practical level. Oh, you have a, a spring that you know about that's somewhere that you can go that's different. Maybe I don't have to come all the way out here and you know I can save myself some time. This is a better for my family. So she's thinking on the practical, but Jesus is talking about a source of, of something deeper in her soul that wells up, that doesn't just dry up. You know, It's not something that just goes away, but it's something that's empowered by the Holy Spirit that he can give her, that gives her life and gives her hope, gives her peace deep within. This is living water. This is... This is when Jesus talks about this gift of God. If you knew the gift of God, often this word gift is referred to, to the Holy Spirit. I will give you the gift of this Holy Spirit. How much more will the Father want to give good gifts to those who ask? He offers her something 
refreshing, something different. This woman is, is, is thinking naturally in, in just physical terms, and this is probably how she spent her life. Most people think, what will satisfy my life? And they think of, of, of human terms. Maybe it's this relationship over here. Maybe it's this substance right here. Maybe it's, it's this uh, uh, situation. Maybe this is what really will bring me joy and peace. This is how most people see life. But most people don't understand the gift of God. That's why he asked her, if you knew the gift of God, you, you would be thinking at a such different, a different level. And this is not used car salesman Christianity. This is not you follow Jesus and all your dreams will come true. This is not Napoleon Dynamite, vote for Pedro, all your dreams will come true. This is, this is something much more deeper, something more rich. The gift of God is not a magical formula that you just say this prayer and then your life is perfect. But it's something that's internal, it's inside of you. And it builds up a different person. It gives you strength and power to withstand all the challenges of life. It's a source in the, in the deserts of life. Most people know religion, but not the gift of God. Most people spend their lives perpetually thirsting for something that will satisfy them. Most people deep down are truly interested, though, in finding what will bring them joy and peace. And Jesus is about to show this woman what, what that is. The gift is not something that we can earn. It's not something we deserve. That's what a gift is. The gift is God's, God's thing that he gives up to, despite what we are, who we are. This is the beauty of the gospel. It's a gift. It's not something that we have earned, but it's given to us freely by a loving God. Now watch what happens next. This, this is the next thing. We find Jesus, number six, pushing past pleasantries. Jesus is pushing past the pleasantries. He's willing to get awkward. So all this great stuff, you can do the gift of God. Oh, wow, that sounds awesome. Then what, look what he does next. Look, look what he does next. Verse 16, he told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. All right, Jesus, okay, all right, well, cool. He didn't just move on. Okay, no husband, that's good. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. What you said is quite true. Hey, why are you all up on my junk, Jesus? Why are you in my business? Okay? We like the gift of God as long as it doesn't get in our business sometimes. Like, why do you got to go there? Why do you got to get all up in my life and my, my past and all? I mean, why can't I just get the gift of God and move on and go on to lunch and get me a buy one, get one free pizza at Firenza, which I got some coupons for if you want to go with me today. Right? Why can't I just go on and, and, and just, you know, it was great. Great message, Pastor. All right, I feel good. I'm, no, Jesus pushes past the pleasantries, the things that we like to hear. And he, he tells us things we don't want to hear. He tells us the things that we don't want to see. He shows us who we really are because the only way that we can really truly receive this gift of God is it's not a just pure spiritual thing. We don't have a spiritual life in the rest of our life. We have a life. And Jesus is connecting this spiritual reality with who she really is, which is a very broken person. A very broken person with a lot of past, a lot of baggage, a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And he brings Brings it up in probably a pretty awkward way. Like it would be great if we just could come to church and everything was great. Well, I love you, love you, you're awesome. Nobody has passed you. Oh yeah, sure, Jesus loves you, you can go on. But we got people, we all do here. We have a past. We have stuff. We have things we're not proud of. And Jesus wants to deal with that stuff. He doesn't want to push it off to the side and say, oh, that never happened. But he wants to come in the midst of that 
and somehow redeem that. He says, go call your husband. Hey, that guy that's well, he's not your husband. Call him anyways. Because I got something for him too. You know? I got something for all these people in this entire town. Watch this. I, you know, there's a lot of brokenness here, but there's nothing beyond what Jesus can't deal with. There's a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, but I'm here for all of this. I'm not here just to give you a nice little saying. I got living water. It's going to be great. You can go on with your life, but I have, I have the ability to come into the midst of your hurt, the midst of your pain, the midst of who you really are, and give you a true answer and true healing for that. Amen? Amen? But you got to push past the pleasantries. Too often we're pleasant in church. How you doing, brother? Great. Awesome. Praise God. But we got to push past that. Somehow, somehow, we got to let the Lord in to that deep part of us that we're holding on to. Sometimes it, it takes letting others in as well. Number seven. We find Jesus rising above binary arguments. If you have computer programmers here, they appreciate this word. Programming binary, what do you do? You know what that is? Ones and zeros. I feel like sometimes right now in society we are living in a one or zero world. Are you for him or against him? Are you pro this, anti that? Where do you stand on this? One or zero? Yes or no? Are you in or out? Democrat or Republican? Where, where are we at? One or zero? Watch what Jesus does. Verse, 20, or verse 19. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. <laughs> okay, if you know a little bit about me, this is scary. Now watch what she does. This is, this is pretty cool. So commentators don't know if she's trying to change the subject here or is she trying to take it to a higher level. We don't know, but it could be both. She says this. I know you're talking about my husband, but our fathers worship on this mountain. Let's change the subject here. This is getting awkward. Uh, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is Jerusalem. Here's binary argument. Is it Mount, this mountain is Mount Gerizim, or is it worship here or worship there? So Jesus, is it Democrat or Republican? Is it uh, pro or con? Is it this or that? Which one is it? Let's get into this binary argument and you saw, and this is what people always try to bring Jesus into. So which is the greatest commandment, Jesus? What do you say about this? Is it this one or that one? Which school of thought do you lie with? And he always rose above these binary arguments. He didn't just say, it's this. He said, oh, let me take you to a whole other level of thinking on this. It's not this or that. It's something else. It's a third way. This is what Jesus does. So let's, let's read what he says. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. It's not Jerusalem. It's not here. There's something else. It's not one or the other. It's not... On or off, black or white, I got a whole other way of thinking for you. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. So he's recognizing God has used the Jews in the salvation plan. Okay, great. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah called Christ, the anointed one, is coming. When he comes, he'll explain all everything. This is crazy now and all this stuff is, you're taking another level. But when he comes, then we'll get, we'll get the answers. And then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. I am the Messiah. I'm going to declare that first and foremost to a Samaritan woman. Not to King Herod, not to some important 
Jewish person, but to this lonely woman in a well, I am the Messiah. I'm talking to you right now, and I have something for your life. He rose above. Look, look how she wanted to make worship about where you worship. Is it here or is it there? We want to make worship about which denomination are we part of? Is this one or that one? Mike and I were talking, he, he came out to watch the girls or Lily's game, and we were talking about worship. Is oh, it grandmother? Did you get a pair of slacks? <laughs> you know, like, is it formal or is it informal? Do we wear a suit and tie or no suit and tie? Which one's right? Do we sing hymns or do we do the more praise band songs? I mean, what, what is it really? And maybe Jesus is saying, it's not any of that. It's about your heart. It's about spirit and in truth. It's about who you're worshiping. Because we can do all the forms and the patterns and all this stuff looks great. But if nothing's going on in our heart, it means zero. It means zero. He's rising above these arguments. I think Christians would do well today to take Jesus as an example. To not get bound up in these where do you stand arguments. I'm not saying we don't have opinions. I'm not saying we don't stand places. But there's probably another level that we could, we could refer to. Another place, another zone we could go to. That we don't alienate so many people by our opinions. And we push people away from the true answer, which is not our politics, not our, it's not our opinion, but it's Jesus, who's the Savior. We need to rise above those things and point people to him and show people that this is really what life's about. I don't know. I'm not sure about this. I may have an opinion. I don't know. But Jesus, I know about him. He's the answer. And finally this. We got to eight. We did it. We find Jesus revived and reviving others. Revived and reviving others. Let's read this. In fact, how are we doing on time here? We're doing all right, but I'll just say this. We're looking at verses 27 to 42. Let me sum this up and I'll read just a couple of things. So Jesus, after this conversation, he reveals, I am the Messiah of this woman. Right then, the disciples come back from the 7-Eleven. They come back and they got the big gulps and all that stuff and the little corn dogs and everything. And they, they show up and Jesus, they're like, whoa, this is weird. Because he's talking to, he broke cultural norms. He's talking to a woman. What did, we are confused. You know, we don't even know what's going on. Disciples are always like that. They're like, huh, what? Because they're disciples like us. We're like, what? <laughs> That's good. We don't have to feel so bad if we're confused. But they come and they're, they're, they just feel like this is strange. And then the woman runs off. She's going to go and tell all this great stuff that Jesus just told her. Once goes to the village. They come to Jesus and they say, hey. Got some corn dogs, or got some um, some vegan corn dogs. I mean, we got their lamb corn dogs, or whatever they ate back then. I don't know. And they, and they give them to Jesus, and he's like, "No, I'm good. I'm good. I'm not hungry now." And uh, look, look at verse 34. Jesus says, "This my food," said Jesus, "is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to finish His work. My food is to do the will of Him who sent me, and to finish His work. I was hungry." And he, not that Jesus never ate again, but there was this, this reviving, refreshing feeling of actually ministering and making a difference in somebody's life. It, it invigorated Jesus, where he was weary and tired, looking for a drink of water. He has this conversation. He begins to share life and hope with her, and she, her life is being transformed. And he's like, all right, let's go. Let's do this. This is, this is good. I'm, I'm, I don't need a corn dog now. I'm good. Verse 35 says this. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months more until the harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. 
The disciples were like, we were just stopping through Sychar. We were not like planning on being here. We were just getting something and, and get out of here. But Jesus says, you know, we, we always were looking ahead to something. Four months more. And then we can actually do something. In my life, in four months, I'm going to be where I really need to be. And when we get to Galilee, then the ministry starts. When I finally, you know, get my education, finally get my degree, then I can really be where I need to be. Jesus says, you know, we say all these things and we look ahead. But right now, if you look out, open your eyes, there's, there's, there's a harvest field right here waiting, right in this moment where we are, in this little town that we didn't want to stay in. There are people that are ready to receive. There are people that are hurting. There are people in need. There are people that, that are waiting for life and hope. If you just open your eyes. Kyle, if you would come. The harvest is right. That's what Jesus is saying. We don't have to wait. And I know God has a timing about things. God doesn't always give us everything at once. I understand that. We have to wait and be patient. But very often we... we, we Blow through the opportunities that are in front of us because we're looking for something else. We're waiting to get to Galilee. We're waiting to move through to wherever it may be. We may just think, you know, we don't mess, we don't mess with Samaritans, so we can't even minister to them anyways. This is not even people we're trying to reach. But God, God says, you know, open your eyes. Right now, there's opportunity. Right now, there's people that are surrounding you that need help. That need hope, that need life, that need living water. Right now you are in close contact with people that need what you have. This is the message to us today. Rather than trying to get to somewhere, it may be right where you are is where you need to be. I know we all have destinations, we all have plans and, and dreams and things, and that's fine. But don't miss the sidecars of today. Don't miss the moments where God has for you right now as you're in a hurry to get to where you want to be. You may be here and you're feeling like, you know, how did I end up in this, in this sidecar? How did I end up in this situation? This is not what I wanted. This is not where I planned. There's got to be somewhere else where God wants me to be. But maybe that's right where he needs you right now. Are you passing through or are you passing through with a purpose? Truly, you may not be there long. Maybe it's a place of, you know, it's just temporary. But you know, God has a purpose even in those temporary things. We can look at it as a church, you know, as a church right now, we're meeting in a middle school with two other events going on at the same time. It's like, wow, when we get a building, it will really be something. Really? Is that what God's saying? When we get a building? But when we get a few more people, then we're really... That's it. I believe God is saying, no, right now, the fields are right. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you get somewhere. It's where we are now. What are we doing now? Are we, as individuals, reaching out in our own lives? Are we seeking the Lord in our own lives? Are we wanting to be what he wants us to be in our own lives right now? It's not four months more. It's not five years from now. Then will really be something. It's right now, Lord, what do you want me to do this week? What do you want me to do this week? Who have you placed in my life this week? God, what do you want our church to do this month? What can we do right now in this season to be who you're calling us to be? Are we going to reach every person in Lexington and Columbia? No. Well, maybe there's one. Maybe there's two. Maybe there's three. That God has ordained for us to really make a difference in their life as people, as a church. We've got to open our eyes and look.
We've got to shun the success in our lives that looks like success. Reevaluate, God, what are you calling me to? Sometimes we've got to just break from our routine. Maybe you're here today and the best thing you do is just get out of that routine. Not that it's terrible or bad, but just to, to get a fresh look at what God's asking you to do. Maybe it's asking for help. Maybe there's people in your world that you're so worried that if I ask them for help, then they might not think that I have Jesus or an answer. But maybe that's a, the inroad to a conversation. Asking for their help, asking for their opinion, asking for their advice. And then maybe they'll turn and want to ask you. I know that the Lord has a plan and a purpose for what we're doing as individuals in a church. So as we conclude today, I just want us to spend a time. We're going to sing this together. Everything and nothing less. Give you my all. I surrender all. Because that's what it takes to be who God wants us to be. We can't come to him and just receive the gift and not give the past, not give the hurt, not give everything that we are. God wants all that we have, even the things that we're, we're not proud of, even the things that we're trying to hide. He wants everything because he's redeemed all of it. So let's sing this together as our closing kind of prayer and conclusion of this service today. Kyle, if you go ahead and lead us. If you want to stand, you can. If you'd like to, to kneel, sit, however you would like to worship the Lord and, and participate, that's, that's on you.